Welcome to Local Logic's Places in PropTech podcast. Today we'll be discussing data and building automation. I'm Sarah Maffey, Head of Industry Relations at Local Logic, and my co-host is Nick Durham of Shadow Ventures. We'll be speaking with Larry Genovese, CTO and VP of Engineering at MBU, and Dean Fungawing, CEO and founder of Kairos. Let's jump into the conversation. Super excited to have um, Dean and Larry with us. Uh, they are going to be our resident experts and built, uh, I guess the best way to put it is hardware, hardware for buildings and some of the technology that uh, is interfacing directly with those, those physical assets. So a little bit more of an engineering. Um, I'm excited because it's going to be a little bit more of an engineering focused uh, conversation. Uh, hardware focused conversation versus versus the previous two, which mm-hmm. uh, were more software software based, and I think it's a, it's really important to cover this piece uh, as it relates to prop tech because I think that's one of the unique aspects about prop tech is you do have to integrate with the physical uh, physical architecture, and that sometimes can be a big barrier for people one when when capturing data, um, but two even you know as we look at adoption cycles. Um, and proliferation of technology across the the site, like the inner workings of the building, some of the cellular signals, the Wi-Fi signals, they have to move between walls, and there's a lot of difficulty that that kind of comes along with that. So I'm personally just very excited for this conversation, so thanks, Dean and Larry, for joining. Um, Sarah, do you want to cover, like, kind of what the intent of this entire series is? Because I know we're going to we're going to extend it. So I think it might be helpful to cover that. And yeah. maybe we can get into introductions just uh, immediately after. Yeah, well, I would just say, so um, I'm Sarah Maffey. I'm the head of industry relations at Local Logic, And Local Logic uh, is hosting this series with Shadow Ventures. And Local Logic is an, a location intelligence company. We're really focusing on uh, the site selection and site assessment process for uh, commercial real estate, specifically multifamily. And we're really looking at using data to make better decisions about what gets built, how it's priced, who you're focusing on, um, and how we, we ultimately develop cities that meet the needs of a community. Um, so data is really, I mean, the, the core, the heart of our company, um, that intersection of you know, places, prop tech and data is is just where we where we live. And we thought it would be really cool to have a conversation where we kind of dive into different parts of that um, process of cradle to grave sort of of a, of a building um, and all the different prop tech solutions that are available along that cycle, as you were mentioning, Nick. So that's what we've been uh, kind of devoting each of these discussions to and We've talked about um, amenities. We've talked about, you know, obviously site assessment and site selection. And we've got some really cool conversations um, coming up on different aspects of this from uh, environmental risk um, to just using data to understand what residents actually want today. So I think um, I'm really excited about this series. But today um, I mentioned in, in my post on LinkedIn that I'm kind of nerdily really excited about this conversation because um, my first foray into the built environment was working for Turner Construction in New York. And I showed up to my first job site and uh, basically got put on mechanical systems. So um, anytime I get to talk about 
HVAC, water, anything like that, it, it goes back to like my, my nerdy origins um, in building. So I'm personally very excited to, to talk about this today. Love it. I love getting to nerdy origins. I think that's, that's everyone's <laughs> goal at, at heart. All right. Um, awesome. Well, let me, uh, Dean and Larry, let me, let me tee you guys both up. I'll give a quick in, intro and shout out. So uh, Shadow Ventures, um, my name is Nick Durham. I, um, I kind of handle uh, a lot of our sourcing or deal sourcing and diligence flow, um, kind of more specifically in the prop, prop tech side currently. Uh, and we're a prop tech focused uh, venture capital firm. We invest primarily pretty early stage. So seed stage is, uh, is kind of where, where we play typically. And um, local, local Logic, who Sarah's with, uh, Kairos, who Dean is with, and Imbue, uh, who, who Larry is with, um, they're all portfolio companies uh, of ours, and we're pretty excited about every single one of them. And, uh, yeah, just excited to kind of dig more into data and, uh, yeah, the nerdy engineering sides of integrating with a physical, a large physical building. And um, I think for what it's worth, Kairos, Dean, and, and MBU, they're both focused mostly on uh, residential assets currently, and we can kind of get into potential progressions from from there but i think it's worth mentioning that you know we're going to be speaking and having this conversation primarily through the lens of residential multifamily buildings um i know in view and, and larry you guys do a decent amount of senior senior housing senior living so we can mm-hmm. cover some of the unique dynamics there but um yeah with, with that said let me um larry i'll pass it to you first you mind giving a quick uh a quick background on yourself and what you guys are building at in view Sure. Uh, thanks, Dean. So uh, my name is Larry Genovese. I am the Chief Technology Officer and VP of Engineering and a founder at uh, at MBU. And we build uh, systems for making multifamily buildings intelligent. So we can go in uh, very cost-effectively and instrument a building and allows us to get data uh, and use that data to analyze the environment and to help make create actionable events. So as an example, controlling the amount of energy going into building water loops, um, air, indoor air quality, um, you know, and other comfort things for, for residents. So we're really, the simple explanation is we're a big data company and we use lots of IOTs and controllers to get data and then create actionable events and we can completely automate a building and uh, allow the building owners to do what they do best, which is making residents comfortable and safe. Perfect. Thank you very much, Larry. Uh, Mm -hmm. Dean, you want to give a quick background? Yeah. Um, My name is Dean. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Kairos. Uh, We're a digital water technology company focused on asset protection and water conservation. Uh, We do that through the use of a patented leak detection membrane technology. It's basically a flexible printed sensor uh, that can detect water within a few drops of it hitting a contact service and then sending wireless signals over low power technology uh, to a base station. And of course, all of the web applications that people would be notified of any kind of kinetic events inside of a building uh, in order to protect the asset. Uh, It's the single largest property threat to any property in the world. And, uh, you know, most likely to happen, right? It's more of an economic issue than it is a life safety issue, but uh, it's very costly. Uh, single largest insurance problem uh, on the market. 
you you also have uh, sort of compounding issues happening with the aging infrastructure of the buildings uh, that are you know creating a lot of inefficiency in the consumption of water. That's also taxing the energy uh, efficiency of a building. So um, you know we're just focused on solving water problems, uh, and we do that through our unique platform. On the on the metrology side, uh, we're currently uh, finishing up. A product that is going to be released in the next quarter. It is a, uh, it's a, essentially a, a wireless, uh, you know, water meter, a submeter. Uh, that's an ultrasonic uh, system designed to detect really, really small uh, amounts of flow in a building to detect anomalies, um, especially when it comes to, you know, losing about 13% of the water in a building. About 98% of buildings lose about 13% of their water consumption, and that's kind of one of the things that we're looking to tackle. Uh, because it can help them save again on uh, water as a utility, but also as the ener- as a as an energy um, you know uh, impact. So uh, that's our technology. Awesome, Sarah. I have a I kind of have a high level question to to start with. Um, yeah, go ahead. I have I have things. I'll I'll save them. For, for, yeah, for sure. So as I was kind of thinking about this conversation, I think like. Through the context of data, uh, both Larry and Dean, I, I wanted to get your all's take um, to see to see if you agreed or, or disagreed. But what are the what are the most challenging aspects of data currently? Uh, like when you're Dean, when you're collecting when you're collecting uh, information uh, about water water flow usage, usage in a building. Uh, in order for you to collect um, a consistent amount of accurate data, what are the biggest challenges that you run into? Yeah, I think it's context, right? So depending on, I, I always like frame it this way, right? Water is a little bit different than some of the other problems that can occur in a building. Um, so if you, if you lose power to a building, it's pretty straightforward. Like you're not, it's not costing you any more money on the energy side. Uh, might be a, a you know resident or tenant dissatisfaction issue. Uh, but when it comes to actual like, the collecting of data for water, uh, so so light going out is a narrow, what we call a narrow context problem. Uh, if your light bulb goes out, you either have a light switch issue or you have a light bulb issue. But when it comes to water intruding into a building or water losses, it's very difficult to detect because um, it can come from so many different places, right? So if we just focus on sort of metering water, um, you know, think about all the plumbing fixtures and faucets inside of a building. Uh, and all the things that consume water, right? You have sort of the outside of the building, which is through a lot of times your irrigation and your transport. You have inside the building, and then you have your mechanical systems, right? So you could, but your water meter that the utility company provides just gives you a blanket. This is what your entire property is using, right? And so to get sort of x-ray vision into that entire property and say, okay, let's zone off everything and figure out where are we losing you know, water and, and where is it costing us, right? That becomes difficult because otherwise, um, if you don't have, you know, sort of very granular data that can help you uh, um, really see exactly where the water consumption is in a building, you'll just, you'll be, I mean, you'll look for a needle in a haystack, right? And so what we do is we use um, uh, what was essentially um, packaged data together. So we look at a profile of consumption uh, between pressure, temperature, flow, uh, and then, you know, the signature, the total volume that's used for any given time. And so what that does is it starts to create enough of a data set where machine learning becomes capable uh, of, of being useful in a wide context problem. So that I think the difficult thing is, 
you know, having enough, you know, resolution into the property and being able to, you know, make sense of what is essentially a wide context problem. And if you look at leak detection, that's another issue, right? Um, it's, it's not like, oh, I have a leak in a building. <laughs> the question is, where is it from, right? Mm-hmm. Is it from a plumbed source? Is it from an unplumbed source? Is it from an HVAC unit, which is an unplumbed source, or uh, in a window and a roof? Or is it from, you know, a cooling tower or a chiller or, you know, a faucet or an ice machine, right? Those are very, very different threats inside the building. And to be able to detect it and then to prevent, you know, six figures of water damage to the building, you have to have... Uh, you know, addressable data so that as soon as a leak is detected, you know exactly when it happens and where it happens so you can take care of it. Um, and I think the, the difficult thing is making sure you have enough resolution, just to be honest with you. Yep. So hopefully that helps, Nick. That makes a lot of sense, Dean. Are you considering um, expanding that in the future to air? I guess it it would be less, um, the damage would certainly be less, but it sounds like pressure, temperature, flow, all these things would also make sense for an HVAC system. Now you're asking really proprietary things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Nick, cut uh, me off. <laughs> Nick, Nick, Nick and KP uh, know what we're up to. Um, cool. I, I don't want to elaborate, but uh, when you're when you're dealing with fluid dynamics, it, the principles tend to be relatively the same. That's that's about as much as I can tell you. <laughs> All right, that satisfies my my nerdy interest. <laughs> It's a very diplomat. It's a very diplomatic no comment. Good, good, good job, Dean. Um, Larry, let's toss the same question over to you. Like, what are the what are the biggest challenges that that you see um, from collecting really important and accurate data from a building perspective? So for us, I mean, we not only do we monitor, but we do control, and much of our control is real time. Um, so, as an example, we'll be controlling pumps in a building and modulating their their speed based on the, the difference in temperatures between supply and return. So one of the issues that we have is that we have to always maintain, we have to make sure that we maintain local control loops. So you, you can't run a real-time control loop from the cloud, mostly because the internet's not always all that reliable. Um, so, so that's one kind of data problem we have, which is we're logging a bunch of data, um, much of it is actually going to the cloud because it has historical interest later on, but this, the immediate data is very interesting in terms of running the control loop that's doing the particular kind of thing. So we've had to develop a lot of processes and algorithms for doing that, and you know we're we're having to talk different languages to different devices in order to be able to control them because we never know what's going to happen when you go into a building. So we built a very flexible architecture that allows us to quickly onboard a new piece of equipment so that we can add it to our building management environment. And then we and then we're gathering lots of other kinds of data. I mean this can be temperature and humidity data, indoor air quality. We gather the outside weather data around every property we manage. Um, and we do things like we have the ability to monitor movement. In in a, in a in an apartment, if that's what's if if that's what a building company wants, you know, a management company wants, uh, we do window open and close sensing because we can use that to to um, change temperature set points. So if, if a resident opens up a window, we can set back the air conditioning or the heating. So that data gets collected and 
again, used on a short-term basis, but then we save that information in the cloud so that we can look at it and determine behaviors. Because part of what we're trying to do is to help predict the behavior of a building. And that allows us to do things like demand response, as an example, where, you know, we can look at how many thermostats are demanding heating or cooling, which windows or doors are open and closed. So on a longer-term basis, it's valuable data. So it's, it's tricky to be able to know how much to keep at what frequency you should sample. And, and sometimes, and many times, we have to filter that data. So we may oversample in the beginning for control, but in terms of the value long-term for building behavioral models, we have to strip that back. And even though storing data in the cloud is relatively inexpensive, the rate at which we gather it, if we kept everything, would probably not ultimately work well for us in terms of being able to use it. So that's really our biggest issue, which is what do you gather, when do you gather it, what do you use immediately, and then what do you save for later on for deeper analysis. And, Larry, people are able to see this across their portfolio as well, right? Exactly. So it's interesting um, if you look at the way building management systems have traditionally been built. Mm -hmm. They've been built to be used by people who understand something about buildings. Now, when you go into to um, multifamily properties, you typically don't have a building engineer. In fact, I've never seen one actually in a property. So that um, you can't use the traditional kind of building engineer nerdy interfaces. So you, you want to be able to build something where the system can tell you interesting things. You can go in and look for interesting things. If you're, as an example for our for building owner, if, you, if you're in charge of energy efficiency, you want to be able to gather data and analyze that to help figure out what's going on. But in general, the system has to run on its own. And if, as, we, as we design the system and talk to property owners, and, and more importantly, we talk to the people who maintain and run the buildings, what they said is that, look, what we want to know is when something isn't working right, we'd like to know it as soon as possible. So we have spent a lot more of our time creating an intelligence on the cloud that can come back and say, hey, you've got a problem or you've got a potential problem you need to deal with. Um, So what we find is that different people at different times use the system in different ways. But the bottom line is you have complete visibility into everything that's going on in your building right down to what's happening in every apartment as well as what's going on with your central plant and uh, including envelope protection things that, um, you know, that can be, you know, foreshadow bigger issues coming down the, down the line. I guess I'm wondering, like, with all this information, are we starting to see changes in how um, systems are being designed for buildings? Are we seeing changes in how people staff uh, interacting with these kinds of things? Like, how, does, how is this really impacting the day-to-day operations of a building? Well, you know, it's interesting that you'll, you know, we have a lot of very large buildings that we manage. You go in and there's a, generally somebody in charge of maintenance, mm-hmm. and that person can be the person trying to figure out why a chill is not running, and it can also be the same person who's swapping out a microwave in an apartment. So they're, they're very clever people who have lots of things going on across a broad spectrum. So the system has to help them. 
right? It, 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 we, you can't rely on them trying to come to the system and look for stuff. So I think that I don't think that's going to change because I think it would be very difficult and very expensive to add that expertise. But I think what's happening is that the systems are getting smarter in a sense that they have a, a simple way to present data to some environment that will collect it and analyze it. So we we just did a job a while back based on Dakin large building systems, and we interfaced directly to their controllers and were able to extract a huge amount of information. Now, the, the, the maintenance manager, what he loves about our system is when something happens, we send him a text message. So instead of waiting for a bunch of residents to call and say we're hot or we're cold or mm. whatever, he gets an instant notification. So in a way, we're taking lots of data and, and filtering it down and, and creating actionable events. We're actually creating useful, relevant, real-time information for the people who manage day-to-day to take care of the building. Mm-hmm. Larry, I, I want to do... Um I wanted to dig in a little bit to some of what you mentioned previously around load management. Sure. Obviously, a big a big trend across the you know across the prop tech space, buildings and infrastructure space is trying to think through how we reduce energy efficiency or how we improve energy efficiency. Sure. Um, and potentially use alternative sources of of energy, um, but but also like maximize, optimize. Uh, the energy mix throughout the day, kind of depending on the load, the load mix. Can, right. can you can you talk about like some of the um, some of the the shifts that you've seen when you've spoken with with managers about how they're approaching uh, energy efficiency? And then two, I'm curious, like just from a technical perspective, how 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 does a property learn and start to optimize some of their load mix throughout the day, um, given that. You know, on, on, a, on a given day, like I think you can get somewhat predictive about, okay, at five o'clock, like there's going to be a little bit more activity in the building. Like we need to kind of optimize the load at, at this point in the day, or at eight o'clock in the morning during rush hour. But if, but if you know, hypothetically, like a fire alarm goes off in the building, and you know, at a different part of the day uh, than was previously predicted, where there there actually ends up being an optimal uh, an optimal amount of people within the uh, within the property, within the building, and the load mix that might not be there because the data hasn't represented that. Like, can you, can you talk about some of those dynamics? Sure. So, you know, this is a really interesting problem that people are just beginning to realize that we got a really big problem. So, if we all run out in the next couple of years and all buy electric vehicles, well, we're all going to show up at home around five, five thirty, six o'clock, plug our vehicles in, and want them to charge, and the grid can't handle that. Just our current grid is not designed for that kind of demand. So we've shifted energy from from fossil fuel create you know powered vehicles to electric vehicles, but the grid was never designed to take that large of a simultaneous load. And we see that in the summer when we have brownouts, just turning on the air conditioners taxes the grid severely. So this is going to become a big problem fast. And I mean we're we've been digging into this for quite a while. And there's lots of different things you can do in order to to create, to manage load. As an example, we know that towards the end of the afternoon, that's the highest demand for air conditioning. So if you can pre-chill a building earlier in the day, 
then you can set back thermostats automatically and ride through the peak period till it starts to get dark again and then start bringing load back on. So there are things like that that we can do. Our thermostat, we, you know, we communicate with our thermostats. We can do automatic setback, things like that. We also can, because we do central plant work, we can shut chillers down. We can slow pumps down. We can do all kinds of things to kind of shape demand. And uh, for, for a couple of reasons. First of all, you have peak, you know, we have just simply enough power, but also multifamily buildings are commercial buildings. They pay peak demand charges. So if you, if you have one particular day that drives your energy, you know, your peak demand skyrockets, you pay that peak demand charge for the rest of that, that month's period. So shaping low even for saving money based on peak demand is a, is a great way not only to save energy but to save money. And then the utilities have incentive programs. So you can sign up and the utility says, hey, if you can save me this much energy over this period of time, then we'll credit your account or we'll pay you to do that. And that's traditionally been pretty difficult to prove the value. But in our system, you know, if we do an automatic setback, they can see how many thermostats have been set back. They can see that the pumps are running slower. They can see that we've we've shut down, you know, chillers in order to save money or to save power. So it's it's really a classic data analytics problem. You've got to be able to get to enough data and you've got to be able to affect enough systems to meet a particular goal. So I think with a lot of these things, the, the big part of it's going to be defining what the goal is. So how do you define this? There are already lots of companies out there, well not lots, but some that have started up sort of um, peak demand management um, um, businesses where they'll go out and ask buildings to save, you know, set thermostats back or do something to save energy consumption during peak loads. Um, but all that sort of has to be integrated together. The good news is that we have all the control technology to do that. What has to happen is, is the algorithms. How do we do it? Why do we do it? Um, do we get buildings where residents have their own personal meters to participate in that same process as the building owners do for all the central plant equipment. So there's a lot of complexity there that's still being worked out, but the good news is there's a pretty big incentive to figure it out. The, pri the primary incentive being, I don't want to have to pay peak demand rates. Well, peak demand rates, we don't want brownouts. Um, and, you know, we... I think the world is beginning to figure out we need to fix the grid. We need to sort of have a federal highway program for the power grid in this country, I think, at some point. But that's going to take a lot of time. So in the meantime, we want to start moving, you know, heat pumps in buildings instead of fossil fuel-fired systems, electric vehicles. We're going to need to manage load distribution. So when you come home and plug in your, your car, you want to charge by the morning. You don't care if it starts now or starts in a half hour, or starts in two hours, as long as it charges. That's right, yeah. Managing all that becomes important. And when you start thinking about that problem as an example, well, what if I want to come home and have my car charge for a while so I can go out and go to dinner, right? So that's different than saying, I'm home for the evening, and I'm going to leave tomorrow morning, and I want my battery fully charged. So there, there are a lot of nuances like that. And I think ultimately the big thing that we find 
is that if you present real-time data to even individuals, they get the consequence of what they do, they're doing. I mean, even like in single-family residence, you get a power bill once a month, and you go, wow, that's a lot of electricity, but you don't really know what you spent it, right? And, you, and it's too late to affect it. Whereas in our system, we can show data that says, hey, if you set your thermostat back, you know, three or four or five degrees, this is what the energy savings is going to potentially look like for that action. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's, that's, that's really neat. Um, appreciate that perspective, Larry. All right. So I have a, I have a kind of a separate um, question I wanted to ask you both. You know, when it relate when it comes to building management systems and, you know, even IoT infiltrating commercial residential, uh, commercial residential living, a trend that I've seen is like you have these different ecosystems developing around certain companies and their product mix. Um, just call a few out, like, I mean, from an access control perspective, like Latch has developed a pretty, um, pretty interesting ecosystem of, of, of partners. Uh, Smart Rent is another example. Um, I kind of see this, and I, I actually even talked to someone from um, Point Central, a subsidiary of Alarm.com this morning, and they have their own eco- IoT ecosystem developing. I just find this to be a really interesting competitive dynamic is, is in that, like, you have all of these different product ecosystems. I, I think, Larry, you probably have a unique perspective here because you guys are um, you guys are, are not are not biased to a particular uh, suite of IoT products. You're you're interoperable with all of them. Um, but Dean, I also was curious to get your perspective on this because you, you're solving a particular problem and you're potentially wanting to work with multiple partners who are like kind of creating these these walled gardens, if you will. Um, but yeah, Dean, maybe I'll toss this to you. Like, do you, how do you make sense of the competitive dynamics within the building, uh, the, the building IoT space, the building management system space? Can you kind of talk about some of the things that you're seeing there? Yeah, absolutely. It's just, a, I think we're seeing, like, so if you look at multifamily as, as, um, as sort of a segment in comparison to, you know, some of the more, um, heavy commercial buildings like offices, uh, the, the inherent building systems are very different, right? Um, unless you're dealing with a multifamily uh, building like what Larry is talking about, where it's like more of a, a vertical building, where you do have traditional building equipment that you would see in an office building, right? Um, you just have different occupants. Um, if you've got, you know, BMS system in place, a lot of those that we've we've heard of from companies are are using um, are using uh, you know BACnet or Modbus um, to interface with those systems and to control things, right? Um, and we use um, we use an open standard called LoRa. It's a low power, long range technology, and it's really just our our goal is just to get data out of that building, right? And as a hardware manufacturer, we've always said like, look, we're agnostic to the platforms because there's 450 IoT platforms around the world, right? And if you compete in the software space, your differentiation is speed and maybe the quality of your software and the data that you can sort of analyze, right? But their capabilities are always being, you know, supported by best-in-class hardware, right? And so we figured, look, we're solving a big enough problem. Why don't we tackle um, the problem in a unique way as best as we can, and then that way we can interface with those existing systems? So we, told, we spoke to a, um, an MEP company, and they said, look, if you want to play in our world, you have to use BACnet. We're like, okay, great. 
how does that you have to get the gateway um uh you have to get the data from the sensors and the meters to the gateway and then you have to take that gateway data and push it to the backnet system right and so you're seeing you're seeing hardware come out that can do that so that interfacing with legacy building systems becomes easier right so you still get the capability that the best in class hardware can provide um, and then you're keeping localized data so it's coming from the hardware going to a, a local gateway and then pushing into their existing building system that's one way you can do it the other way you can do it if the if they don't want you to directly connect to anything is to, to use a cloud to cloud integration on the back end and apis really are the key to, to doing that right um, <clears throat> some systems are closed some systems are open but what we found is that a lot of folks aren't really interested in taking the risk that we've taken on, which is building really difficult to build technology. Instead, they're like, we'll just use you guys as stuff and then we'll figure out how to integrate it on the back end. Cause that's much easier, you know, dropping code is much easier than, <laughs> you know, rewiring your building. Right. So, um, so that's, that's what we've seen. Um, hopefully that answers your question uh, there. Um, you know, when you don't have those legacy building systems, they just want to solve the problem, right? And if we can help them solve the problem, yes, we can be a single stack solution right now. And later when they decide to use a smart rent and make, you know, because not every apartment portfolio is going to say, yeah, we want, you know, we want to have, you know, 15 to $20 a month of, uh, you know, per door uh, <laughs> increase, right? Like they just can't do it because the market demands something different, right? But maybe they can handle a dollar or $2 a door, right? And they're able to just solve this one problem that's costing them 50 grand a year, right? Um, and so that's how we look at it and say, look, we'll stand here. And then the day that you decide to make it a smart apartment and create, you know, go with an ecosystem of your choice, we'll, we'll just plug in on the back end. And we've already successfully done it with some of the biggest, um, biggest platforms out there already. So uh, it's, it's really not a big deal. So hopefully that answers your question, Nick. Thanks, Dan. That's great. Kind of going in, in terms of like market demand, you know, it it seems really clear sort of the value proposition for building owners, you know, to mitigate risk and, and manage expenses. But the, the you know, Larry, you're really talking about things that are impacting um, resident experience. And Dean, I was seeing, you know, reading a little bit about Kairos, like the ability to actually detect um, organic growth within the water. And I, I just feel like over the past year and a half, there's been um, this huge shift to people actually caring about the quality of their air, the quality of their water, and maybe paying attention to things way more than they had previously. And also, I think more, more focus on sustainability. And so I'm wondering, just from like a resident perspective, like, are you seeing demand for these kinds of systems and data to be in place and also shared with with residents yeah so i don't uh, and i know larry will chime in here in just a second so for us and just so we're clear yeah it is on our roadmap to look at you know water quality itself on mm. the platform because what, what, what we're building is essentially a water you know analytics platform right um but when you look at the actual um what we were talking about with organic growth is, is also what larry alluded to is looking at conditions inside of a building that are conducive
to, to organic growth, uh-huh. right? So detecting a leak is detecting a leak is one thing, right? But our sensors are multifunction sensors, and so what they do is they actually measure the te- the ambient temperature conditions as well as the physical intrusion of water, all on one device. The conditions Typically, that could cause that. growth. Correct, mm-hmm. right? But you you in order to do that, you have to gather data together that makes sense, right? Which is like you know, if an apartment had over 65% humidity for more than 48 hours, now you're looking at a threat condition, right? If you have a slow leak that goes ignored, then you also have a similar issue on your hands. And if the humidity and the leak coincide, then now you got a real issue. So for example, for one customer, uh, multifamily customer, their top 15 owner operator, um, they had issues in Florida. Typically, year-round, Florida is about 80% mm-hmm. humidity, and it's real bad. So they wanted to know if it was a behavioral issue coming from residents, right? So it's not residents going, I want to make sure my apartment's healthy. It's my residents going, I want to save on my energy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in effect, creating, you know, solving for one problem and creating another one at the same time, right? Because if you don't run your HVAC, you're not pulling humidity out of the air, you are causing an organic growth issue that actually threatens your own health. So we wanted to flag that. And with one particular customer, they had 12 organic growth claims the year prior to installing our sensor, our multifunction sensor. And within nine months, we basically brought that to zero. And when we looked at the math, it was close to $200,000 worth of claims that they had the prior year. And so we saved them a ton of money within less than a year. So it's that kind of success that we're trying to provide. Mm-hmm. I would say the demand is coming more from, uh, you know, from the, the pain of the, the owners and operators having to deal with resident satisfaction issues, but more so with the threat of litigation as well as damage to the asset, right? So if you have a small leak in an HVAC unit or a water heater on the second floor and it drips very slowly and it goes unseen, or unnoticed for five months or three months. Next thing you know, the resident's complaining of a musty smell. Mm. They've been running their HVAC system just fine, but it causes damage to the it causes damage to the property. And um, you know, next thing you know, you're displacing the resident. You're you know, you're paying for a lawsuit potentially. I mean, it just gets real messy. And so, I think if you can have simple, you know, fifty dollar sensors in there that. <laughs> can help you see in real time that you've got a threat condition. Now the maintenance teams can get ahead of it within 48 hours instead of, you know, five days. <laughs> so that's kind of what, that's how we help solve the problem. So yes, it is a resident satisfaction issue, but the demand is coming more from the pain point of the owners and operators. But Larry can elaborate because he's got different data than we collect or maybe similar. So Yeah, actually, can we, we look at similar things, which is interesting. Yeah. So yeah. we, for a long time, have had something we call mold envelope calculation, which is based on some research done at the university level of predicting when you may have growth, right? So so we we warn on that. So we can and, – and it can be coming from lots of places. You know, it can be a leak. It can be um, – you know, not running your air conditioner for a sufficient amount of time. And what's interesting is that our system allows the owner, if they want to, to basically enforce various rules. So um, around maintaining a certain humidity level, 
you know, being alerted when windows are open and air condition is running at the same time and things like that. So, but we're also seeing that people are becoming more and more aware of what goes on where they live. So, and I think the last, you know, year and a half has shown people are all of a sudden saying, well, what's my indoor air quality look like? And, you know, exactly. what, um, yeah. And so it's, so we, so it's interesting because we started a couple of years ago starting to look at working on it with air door in quality and build some prototype sensors. And we went out and started asking people and it's front landlords were basically saying, I don't want to open a can of worms. <laughs> but now they've come back and said, yeah, actually we really care about this problem because now their residents care about it. And they ask that question. So, it, and, and especially it's interesting that in newer buildings, that could be a bigger problem because if you're using much better building techniques, tighter envelopes, more insulation, and you're managing your air exchange systems more tightly to save energy, you can end up in situations where you've got, you know, volatile organic compounds in the air, you've got a higher than normal CO2 level, or if they're in the city, you can, you know, have nitrous oxide from exhaust. You, you can have CO from exhaust. You can have a lot of different things going on. So I don't think it's ever going to get to the point where you're going to monitor that in every apartment. But I think that if you monitored that on every floor of a building, um, that would add tremendous value. And I think we're seeing uh, property owners looking at trying to portray a more you know, more an image that says we care about indoor air quality, we quit care about saving energy, and you know these technologies basically allow that to happen. And I think I think it's a good trend. I think it's good that people are becoming aware of where they live and how it affects their health. And if we can help them become aware of how much energy they consume, um, I think that most people will react by trying to save energy. And the example that I that I give about that is when I bought my first Prius, it had this cute little thing on the dashboard that gave you a bar chart of your energy use. And what I realized over time was that that, that device was programming me to be a better driver because it was a game. I was trying to always get above 50 miles an hour uh, or 50 miles per gallon. And it was because I was getting instant feedback I was able to do that. And I think that that's the same thing that – any of these building management systems should be doing, which is residents should really know how their behavior is affecting their energy consumption, their health, and, and things such as that. So I think it's a great opportunity. That's what we see, and that's where, you know, we think that the, the analysis of that data on a long-term basis is important. We should probably wrap up fairly soon, Nick. Do you have any any other questions? Yeah, I, I, have, a, I have a couple of a couple of threads I wanted to go down. Larry, we didn't get your um, kind of your response on the competitive ecosystems within the, the sure. prospect so we, building IT space. Yeah, so we um, we also use a wireless technology. We use Zigbee. Um, uh, and actually our thermostats use um, our, our roads. So we create, we can go into a building, but by swapping out the thermostats, we build a building management network. Um and so we, we build a certain number of sensors because we had particular requirements and we built them, but we can also use other people's uh, sensors in that environment. So, you know, we view IOTs as a necessity. They give us the data and give us the control points we need to do our job. 
So if if a if a building wants to use a particular kind of device, as an example, that's fine. We can we can deal with that through either direct integration as a Zigbee device uh, or uh, or through a cloud API. And at the end of the day, our value is the analysis. And the more data we can get on various aspects of the building, you know, the, the better job we could do. So we, we really, you know, like to find new and exciting technologies like, like Gaines Leak technology. I mean, I've been, I've been looking at that. That's, their maps the coolest thing I've seen for leak detection. That's just spectacular. That I can think of lots of places where we can install that, which would be really helpful. I mean, I spent a good chunk of my life in boiler rooms in central plant facilities, and 90% of the time there's water on the floor somewhere, and and that water is, can be dangerous for everything from slip, slipping issues to mold growth to, you know, other kinds of bacteria. So, you know, having access to that technology, as an example, is very powerful for us because it helps us with our goal, which is to protect the building and the residents and, and obviously the people who work there. Thanks for the kind words, Larry. <laughs> yeah, I have to write down that quote, Dean, for some testimonials. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Yeah, but happen. we have a really good one um, that happened recently, um, and I don't know if I shared this with you, Nick, um, but we had a customer last year that uh, in downtown San Francisco that had a about a 20-story building flood with and caused about $300,000 worth of damage, mm-hmm. and uh, – Six months later, they ended up purchasing our technology and uh, becoming one of our earlier customers last year. And uh, what happened was he put in our system, and about two weeks ago, he was on vacation. He gets a text message. This is a chief building engineer. He's like, I had my backup engineer watching, and I thought, hey, it's a false alarm. No big deal. And he sent his guy out there anyways because it happened over the weekend. His guy checked it out. It turned out it was a leak coming from an expansion valve and a riser. And... Um, and they had to drain the entire building, but they completely averted the disaster. There was zero damage to the property. And so their ROI in less than six months was like 3,000%. So, and, and I have that quote because he sent a text message out of the blue to us, and we were so excited that we were able to help them achieve their goal that quickly. So recidivism is a real thing when it comes to leaks as well, as Larry was saying. Um, you know, you can, you can have one leak now that's a pretty big one that's like, you know, $70,000 leak, and six months later you have the same problem because a lot of times there's redundancy inside the building that causes a similar exposure to keep happening, and these insurance companies keep jacking up the deductibles so that they don't have to pay for the stuff that is really supposed to fall on the hands of the engineer. So, so I, happen, um, I happen to be a pretty big Tim Ferriss fan that he Anyone in the audience uh, is, a, is a Tim Ferriss fan, maybe you'll um, they'll have heard this question before. But when he closes his podcast, he usually asks uh, if you had if, if you had to select one one billboard um, that kind of encapsulates basically your your life philosophy. We're, we're not going to go there. This is a, um, <laughs> a prop tech focused clubhouse. But uh, Dean and Larry, my parting question for both of you is. If if you had to if you're if you're interacting with a real estate decision maker um, who's interested in prop tech, what would be uh, 
what what would be the, the billboard that you would want to publicize to them just in terms of um you know some of the most important uh issues and, and mission driven things that you're that you're really kind of keen on and focused in on as we move into the next couple of years Larry I'll let you go first uh, I figured that was going to happen. <laughs> oh, you know, it's funny because it's not that I can't think of one, but I can think of so many. I'm not sure which one. For sure. I mean, I think ultimately the way that I look at it is that it's really a question to the building owner. What is your building and your relationships with your residents worth to you? And that, to me, that's what PropTech can help create a better environment. So it's it's really... That's what it. That's what it boils down to. Because I've always been amazed at how little a lot of these building owners know about their building. And now that they're becoming more aware, they see how it affects their building. They see how it affects their residents. So it's ultimately how do you assign value to that very thing, and then how do you deliver on making that key um, in your value proposition to your to your residents and you know, frankly, your shareholders also. Yeah, yeah. I uh, know. I uh, man, that was that was gold. Um, I think um, I think to that vein, right? Like um, in terms of viewing prop tech, if I were to answer the question and say, you know, how how should you put a lens on it and and, and view it? I would just really say, look, you know, and and what Larry was alluding to, how valuable is it to you and the residents that are satisfied as a result? Um, I think. If you're going to make a decision, you need to think um, in sort of a future-proof way. I've, for what it's worth, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for Me everyone too. who kind of, kind of stuck with us. I think, um, look, I, I think the one of the most unique aspects to the prop tech space and, and the real, real estate industry in general is like a lot of the challenges that we talked today uh, with Larry and Dean, they're related to like very challenging physical integrations with our infrastructure. And if you, if you think about other industries, you know, we get a bad rap sometimes. We were antiquated or, you know, we're a laggard in terms of adoption. It, 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 sure, that, that in a lot of cases, I think there, that there's, there's truth to that. But I also think, like, it's hard, it's hard. It's hard to update traditional building management systems. It's hard to integrate with a lot of different, um, types of types of older systems. It's hard to balance loads with different demand cycles throughout the day. It's hard to have to completely reinvent energy, you know, ener- energy sources um, and create new um, potential algorithms for you know to interact with the with the grid that you, you know, Larry, you kind of hit on that earlier. And so I, I don't know. I have you know conversations like this. It's just a reminder of like the magnitude of what we're doing. And it gives me a little bit of compassion for one, the builders in the space, two, the decision makers. Like these aren't these aren't easy, you know, like quick yes decisions. I mean, you're talking about like multiple year projects in some cases, and um, and and also just like a, a, a lengthier, longer term vision than like, hey, yeah, we need to this this enterprise software solution. So I think today's conversation is a good reminder of that. So thank thank you, Larry and Dean, for providing some, some cool perspective here. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Local Logic's location intelligence, go to locallogic.co.